Very impressive, Miss Wicker. Let me do it again. I was wondering what would happen if I connected the sequence with Atsuko's spectral refraction. All right. That is a second-year spell. I, I read ahead. More than that, you, you understood the theory behind the spell and, and you reshaped it. Your discipline is meta-composition. You are a knowledge student. Knowledge? Mm -hmm. Part psychic, part physical. There really is no branch it doesn't touch on. The short version, you are drawn, mind and body, to the discovery of magic. Is it true that they, uh, well, that we live in the attic above the library? I assure you, it is much more luxurious than it sounds. No, I mean, that sounds like bliss, actually. I enjoyed it. You were a knowledge student. I am a knowledge student. It doesn't end with your degree. You have a rare gift, Julia, and I must admit I'm envious of the many rich discoveries that you have ahead of you. I really love how fatherly uh, Fogg is with her in this scene. Uh, welcome, everyone, to episode 210 of Physical Kids Weekly, The Girl Who Told Time. Today, we are thrilled to have Hale Appenman, who plays Elliot, as our guest. He's here to dish about the episode, his character, and his work on The Magicians. Welcome, Hale. Thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Well, <laughs> we, are, we are really, really excited to have you. I don't know if, I don't think we got the chance to tell you this, but you were the first request that we had from um, any of our listeners was to get you yes. on the show. Wow. So <laughs> this has been a hey, long listener. time coming. <laughs> hey guys, thanks. Um, so why don't you start off, Hale, by telling our listeners about your relationship with the books and how you got involved with the show to begin with. Well, I suppose um, I got my first audition at a time when, you know, I wasn't seeing much material that really thrilled me. And I grew up loving fantasy and loving magic and, you know, Narnia, Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis, pretty much all of it. You know, I was really a kid who loved Greek mythology, Knights of the Round Table, you name it, Monty Python, Princess Bride. That was really a part of my um, kind of childhood um, upbringing. And I kind of fell for the pilot uh, when I read it, but I had never read the books. And my best friend, um, Anthony Kerrigan, he's an, also an amazing actor, um, he is Victor Zaz on Gotham. I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but he's super talented and doing very well. Um, and uh, he said, oh, this is my favorite book series. You have to read it. And he handed me the <laughs> Good first taste. book. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I completely fell in love with it. And I, and I was auditioning for Penny and I went in for Carrie Audino, who's our casting director, who's wonderful. And, you know, from an actor standpoint, to have a casting director like her on board, she... It's an incredible reader. She listens. She gives you everything you need in your audition. She's present. She's focused. Because, um, you know, a lot of times you'll walk into audition rooms and you never know what you're going to get. And a lot of it is just kind of paint by numbers, you know, like next, you know, it's that kind of rat race. And she really takes her time and, and really invests and uh, understands the struggle, the daily hustle of the actor. So. I just, you know, strong shout out to Carrie Audino and Laura Schiff, our casting directors, who are incredible at what they do. 
Um, but I knew that I wasn't right for Penny when I was reading for him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started reading the books and I found Elliot and I sort of thought, man, if I could get a chance and just a crack at exploring this character, I think I might be able to bring something special to him. And, um, a few weeks later, lo and behold, I, I got a call from my agent saying they wanted me back for Elliot. So, um, it kind of worked out just, just the way that, um, I sort of imagined as soon as I found him on the page. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I read all of the books before um, before we started shooting the pilot. And we had kind of a, it was between getting the part and shooting the pilot was a certain amount of time. And then between shooting the pilot and, and shooting the first season was also another, you know, these things take time sometimes in negotiations. And so um, there was a minute. But I, I got through all the books and I just have so much respect for Lev Grossman and I, I think he's a genius and he filled um, uh, like this gaping chasm in uh, I think the fantasy landscape that 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 was um, really yeah. needing to be explored and so I, I um, completely related to the books and fell in love with them and stand by them as kind of the ultimate blueprint so uh, that's I, that, I think that's so satisfying for us to hear as fans, and it's something that we've we've heard from a lot of people who are involved with the show that they they have gotten really into the books, and yeah. Danny and I both started as as book fans. Um, yeah, I think we got in touch with um, Lev before we got in touch with anybody else, um, and it's it's just so nice to see the cast be so invested <laughs> in. I think all of us in the cast are are huge fans of the books, and and you know. Uh, just the primary goal was was to um, live by them as well as we could live by the characters that he created, and, and especially you know, for me that was my number one concern. Stepping into Elliot was, you know, are people going to receive me as this person that they've already created in their imaginations, you know, through what Lev wrote? And um, I've been pretty fortunate so far. I think the fans have been mostly really receptive to me, and, and I'm so grateful to them because. I think that really is the biggest risk when you adapt something. Yeah. Um, are, well, are these people be believable as these characters that, that already are so well-loved? I think, I can't speak for Danny, but certainly for me, uh, absolutely, I can't, imagine anyone, I can't imagine anyone else in this role. Danny, you think the same? I, I now, whenever I reread, reread the books, I, like, I see you. As a, <laughs> um, I definitely had an original, a very original vision of Elliot. Uh, yeah. And I think who I saw originally playing it would have been great, but you definitely bring something more to the role that. Yeah. I and did. I had a vision in my head too, you know, when I read it. <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's some, there was something in kind of the, the grace period of, the show picking them up as grad students in a way that I feel like, well, Elliot's, Elliot's lived a little more life and Elliot's um, <laughs> probably a little more uh, outwardly confident and, and, and inwardly fucked up somewhere. You know, like, <laughs> there's been more has happened. And so um, I kind of filled in a little bit uh, of, of the blank of, of the time that, that passed, you know, from where we <laughs> Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Well, um, I want to turn over now to Danny. She has a few questions for you. Some of these came from fans in the in the various groups that we sort of have touch points in. So, Danny, go ahead, take it away. All right. Um, so, 
Elliot is a much beloved character and he is inspirational for a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. That's a lot of responsibility to live up to. How do you approach that responsibility and what does Elliot mean to you? That's an amazing question. Um, I take Elliot very seriously. <laughs> um, that responsibility isn't lost on me. I, I try not to throw it all on my shoulders because at the end of the day, I'm not the one who makes any of the executive decisions on the show, but it is not lost on me that Elliot is a really important queer character in, especially in a fantasy genre that doesn't see many queer characters. You know, growing up, mm -hmm. there aren't that many. Um, in, in kind of the accepted great classics. You know, you don't see gay knights of the round table, you know. Um, or maybe you do and we just don't know it. You know, it's very possible. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I just, I, I very, it was, it's not lost on me that Elliot is an opportunity to expand uh, a very accepted idea of what, uh, a fantasy character is, and also what a queer fantasy character is. Um, it's important to me that he is not just a, a like one-liner spewing dandy. I, while that is, you know, one of the kind of um, uh, fulcrum, you know, aspects of his character that people connect to immediately. What fascinates me overall about him. Um, has more to do with sort of his fractured heart and and what's going on underneath all of the whimsy. I, I love the whimsy. I love the tongue-in-cheek um, way that he tosses out information and 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 jokes. And and but I also love the way that he's sort of the unofficial leader and also kind of a nurturer. You know, he takes care of his own and and he's um he's not he's not um comfortable talking about that, but it is a part of him. He's, 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 uh, he's at the hearth of, of the group in a way. Um, and I don't, think that's, I don't think that's a mistake, you know? And I also think that, that he's heroic in his own way and he's more powerful than he or anyone gives him credit for. And so I think that he's kind of a classic underdog hero um, and he's completely non-traditional in that role um, as a, I mean, he, you know, granted the sword was charmed, but like he picks up the sword and he <laughs> fights the battle. There's these sections in the beginning of The Magician King where it talks about how Quentin is shit at horseback riding and Elliot kind of is like born for this. Um, yeah. And I There's the great section in The Magician King, which, spoiler alert. And I, I hope that the show continues to embrace Elliot's kind of heroic journey in a way and, and you know, gives him opportunity to flourish as... Um, a more emotionally competent person. I think he's definitely shown some growth so far and there's much more to do obviously and to, to explore with him. And um, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> I love that the show takes risks and that we get to, you know, take big swinging, you know, ballsy moves like the late Miz number out of nowhere. But I also love um, the opportunity to kind of like expose Elliot's more, um, you know, less seen, uh, layers and and his his sort of like hidden emotional machinery is sort of what attracts me to um, the the further exploration of the character. Yeah, <laughs> peel back the Elliot onion. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. the I don't know if I answered that question, but <laughs> <laughs> I answered I seventeen questions that weren't asked. Um, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> okay. It's a conversation. So, yeah, I agree. yeah. 
Okay, so in the books, it seems pretty clear that Elliot is gay, but there's some controversy over Elliot's sexuality in the show. Do you view, view Elliot as gay, bi, or something else? I think I view Elliot as queer. I think Elliot obviously loves men and would never um, turn down a man that he was attracted to and wanted to explore a sexual dynamic with. And, you know, I think that that's pretty clear in what Lev Grossman has written. And But I think also there's like different clues here and there, and in the, in, especially in the first book, him and Margot's relationship, he and I guess Janet's relationship, um, he always references their sort of their their intimacy as being somewhat unusual. And I guess this is seen through Quentin's eyes, but Quentin's always like, what is that? Quentin sometimes, you know, ponders their connection. So I don't know. I, I think that Elliot and Janet or Margot have had sexual experiences together and or with other people. I don't think that that makes Elliot, you know, bisexual in a kind of like 50-50 split kind of way. But I think that Elliot is... Um, sexually insatiable when you find him in the, in the beginning of the story. I think that he's um, he's he's trying to fill a void. And part of that is through drugs, through booze, um, through conversation, through uh, storytelling, through the um, exploration of his image and how he presents himself to the world outside. Um, and I think sex is a part of that too. I I, I think that um, I also think in today's world, you know, people are fluid, right? I mean, I think Elliot is definitely a gay queer, a queer. I like queer for some reason. That's a word that feels <laughs> appropriate to me. Um, it feels like all encompassing. Um, he is gay. He's a homosexual. He's modeled after every famous homosexual in literature. You know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But I, I just wouldn't say that sex can't happen with whoever he feels like having it with, I guess. Does that make sense? It, yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. Am I going to get also... like, pitchforks <laughs> and, you know, burning bags of no. shit? No. Uh, <laughs> we, we wouldn't let that happen that. to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. You know, this is part of the reason we asked this. It's, it's a question that we've asked um, various other people who've come on this show and... Uh, Almost all of them go on some starting explanation and then say, you have to ask Hale this question because he really doesn't know if it's clarity up about it. You know, I mean, yeah. it's certainly not. I mean, they write what they write for me and I go with it, you know, and I, and I try to explore what I'm given in as complex a way as I possibly can and in a way that feels true to the character Lev wrote. And, you know, I mean, Elliot would never have married Fenn. You know, yeah. like never. We'll get to that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's another conversation. Yeah, we'll get into that later, I guess. But um, you know, that was also a marriage of um, uh, necessity, not a marriage of love or even sexual attraction. So, um, I think that people picked a bone with that, and for good reason. But also, the context is important to consider as well. Yeah. I liked what you said about um, trying to bring complexity to the character. Um, I think that's what I hear a lot in your answer about how you view Elliot's sexuality is that there is, I think in anyone's sexuality, more nuance than the labels give credit to. Right. There's room for exploration for, you know, at least, especially in 
going to grad school's life, right? I, mean, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how much time you have for any exploration in grad school. But <laughs> <laughs> Elliot has lots of, Elliot, you know, magically creates enough time. <laughs> I also love how Elliot describes him as, and this is something that I think the show sometimes glosses over, but that, you know, Elliot's not a, Elliot's a terrific student, but Elliot mm-hmm. also doesn't have to study hard. Elliot, Elliot has a kind of an innate understanding of magic and, uh, he he somehow aces his courses seemingly without lifting a finger. And I, I always loved that about him. That's certainly not my experience in my own life in terms of education, but um, you know, I worked hard and did well. But Elliot kind of kind of flows by and everything is about um our, our, the director of our pilot had this word called sprezzatura, which is about um, the most graceful, least amount of energy possible, kind of like mm. water off a duck's back. Everything with Elliot is just kind of this graceful flow. And uh, it's a word that he used to describe a lot of moments in the show that he wanted to affect a certain kind of detail or idea with. But um, I think it rings especially true for Elliot's character. Yeah, I always in the books I always wondered, because as you said, we are seeing it through Quentin. I always wondered how much of that is Quentin seeing Elliot as being um, effortless. And, and part right. of why I wonder that is because so much of his personality is so affected, right? Like, it, there, there's clearly a lot of effort that goes into the persona that Elliot has created for himself. Right, right. And that persona comes across as effortless. And I would right. imagine it would come across as effortless in terms of his studies, right. too. But you it's not clear that it is. You can't, like, wear that. And you can't, like, stumble out of bed and wear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like all the I just woke up this way uh, yeah. <laughs> selfies on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like after David Bowie and Prince, like, you know, magical ensemble. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it takes do you, time. Do you think, going back sort of to the original question, do you think that Elliot is in love with Quentin? Or that he's in love with Margot, or both. Um, I think that um, I think that it would be really easy for Elliot and Elliot's life and journey if that were true and if that were possible. I think that I think that he'll he'll always end up with Margot in, in some way. Probably not, you know, as a monogamous uh, <laughs> heterosexual couple. But um, I think that they are life partners in a, in a non-traditional kind of way. Um, I think that his relationship with Quentin is one of um, this kind of like unspoken acknowledgement. When you, when you meet someone who um, feels like family is, um, you know, is like part of your tribe, is someone that you resonate with for whatever reason, I think that Quentin kind of falls into that category. And sometimes friendships can feel romantic. Sometimes our friends, sometimes we have our most intimate conversations and most intimate experiences with our friends. And I think, you know, Quentin, I think that, that Elliot and Quentin sometimes can feel that way. Um, I don't know. I know that, you know, some of my closest friends, there's like a, there's sometimes like a, a, a romantic undercurrent and that's not weird. That's just, that's just a kind of intimacy that, you know, you don't always have. Um, so, is he in love with Quentin? I think that probably as he grows up, he that that won't really that'll become clearer that maybe that's not. Um, I don't think he's pining after Quentin. I mean, I think if you know, I think when it happens, when they do have sex, I mean, I think it's probably great for him in that moment. But um, 
I think he's probably a little confused and embittered by that experience a little bit after the fact when when push comes to shove and it was all just um, a drunken mistake. Um, yeah, I think I think I think once Elliot truly grows up, the idea of being with Quentin won't be uh, an issue for him. I don't think it is now. I don't think Elliot's pining after Quentin and Fillory. I think he I think he misses his friend. I think he misses the people that he, he knows he can count on. I think he feels displaced and alone. And so it's life. more Yeah, I think he it's more about displacement, emotional displacement than it is about like a sexual longing. And I think that he adores Quentin and that 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 um chemistry will always be there. Um you know, yeah. but he's not an idiot. He knows that, you know, it's probably not meant to be. Do you think that um, Elliot in the book is the same as Elliot in the show? Um, <laughs> I think that... You stumped him. Yeah, <laughs> that's like a really complicated question. Um, no, because the show isn't the book. Um, and there's no way for the show to be the book. And um, what is written is not what is written on the page of the you know script is not what is written on the page of the book. Um, the for one, the the show travels at a breakneck pace compared to the books. And um, so you know the section that I love and miss the most is the New York section, the the the, the time when these kids have graduated and this very human universal moment, which is about young artists in New York City having nowhere, not really understanding where they fit yet because they've just come through all of this rigorous training and don't yet really know who they are in the context of the world. And I think that anyone who graduates from undergrad or grad school or drops out, um, like me, um, you you enter the world and, and you know, you you have a huge come to Jesus where you just, you know, you're, you're struggling to find your place, your way. Um, and sometimes you you turn to people and you know things that that are not the most healthy. I think that's pretty universal. Um, and I think that that those those sections of the books uh, really rang true for for me and everyone who I know who um, fell in love with them. So that's a section that I feel like you know we you don't get to see Elliot fall into addiction in that way and and climb out of it. Um, or half climb out of it and then get drunk and fillery. Um, you yeah, don't he's get only to an see, alcoholic for like an episode. You know, and the no, like you know, if the novels went on forever, you'd like figure out you know how Elliot finds the bathroom at night in Castle Whitespire. <laughs> and, like, all those like very human, you know, um, those those uh, just private moments. I, I I my my dream would be to explore weird private moments that are you know more uh novelistic or cinematic than than they are than you know let's do a scene about like these people invading the castle for this one episode you know which i love which is fun and the whimsy and the fun like breakneck speed that we get to do you know but the, you know the show's juggling six storylines at once yeah it's and a sarah lot. and john job of juggling all of these threads at the same time and trying to interweave them and the thematic overarching idea of each episode versus the whole season. I mean, it's a whole head trip that I can't even begin to understand. So, so yeah, I mean, 
my job is to create Lev's character in the context of what Sarah and John give me, right? Um, but are the book and the show the same? And are book Elliot and show Elliot exactly the same? No, of course not. They can't be. I wish they could be, you know, <laughs> but that's just the nature of the mediums. You know, they, they aren't the same. Yeah, it takes book readers, like, I think a really long time to to really just, like, adjust at first. Like, I think... Yeah. We, we love both characters separately, but then we're always just like, at the end of the day, we're always like, but I wish they had this. <laughs> right, of course. That's very natural and very human, especially as, you know, diehard fans of the novels. And, you know, I will say I am as well. I'm a diehard fan of the novel and, and I know our entire cast is. And I know John and Sarah are too, you know. The yeah, I can't imagine they would have made this if they weren't. And Lev, you know, luckily Lev has given us his blessing and, you know, given given me his blessing as the character. And, and that means that's kind of like the great, you know, crowning um, <laughs> moment for me. Like I, you know, no pun, sorry. But, um, but I- King of really, acting. <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just love Lev. I don't know. <laughs> That, I don't know what that sentence was about, but I. But here we go. I love love. Yeah, I love <laughs> we <it>. do too. <laughs> You're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's. I think that is a good segue into your next question, Danny. So, what are your favorite parts of the Magicians books, and what would you like to film that you haven't had the chance to? Other than the New York part, since I guess you talked about. That. Okay, so I guess the New York part that goes on the list. Um. Uh. Okay, wait. Okay, so, uh, okay, Quentin and Elliot. So the whole chapter of, El of in the introductor, the introduction of Elliot to Quentin in the books, mm. um, in which the whole moment by the tree with the cigarettes merits are for pussies, and like I love all that stuff. And I love, I, I love. Um, oh God, there's so many things. I love um, the, the the sequence in the boat, that very bride said revisited yes. moment where these two like. Uh, um, weakling teens like try to drag this boat into the pond and they can't really and then they're just floating out there kind of staring at each <laughs> other I don't know what to say and it's just very um, tender and a little homoerotic and uh, <laughs> I think it's a great moment and I, I wish that we had been able to do it on the show but I think that in terms of you know that especially that episode was one in which you have to set up oh so many characters and so many storylines and the beast is coming at the end and it, it all happened so fast. It's like, there wasn't time for that. Um, let's see. Um, and I also miss the, uh, God's power tools speech, uh, Elliot nice. at, at the dinner table in New York with, um, Richard and back when Richard was, I guess that other <laughs> break bill kid. Yeah. Yeah. I miss, I miss the, and I'm also from New York. So, so that, that you know, that had like a certain little, like, um, that whole dinner party was amazing too. I, I forgot yeah. details of it until you mentioned that, but like the Lita and the Swan um, <laughs> ice sculptures. Right, right, right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, all of it. So so good. And uh, just Elliot kind of talking of his Elliot speaking to his relationship to God and spirituality. I think is interesting. I'd like yeah. to explore that on the show. I wonder if I'm sure they would be open to that. Um, yeah, the beauty of the show is that they they like they write what they write and they let me play with it and they, they <laughs> give me like, free reign to interpret it how I will and and that's like so so rare 
Um, so, and they let you sing. Out. And they let me sing. <laughs> they make me. Sing. No, I love it. Yeah, they, that that was so so um, surprising. I wasn't really expecting that. I knew that I had like put a bit in because I knew Jason had done Taylor Swift and the Beast was singing Noel Coward, um, which was I thought was awesome. And Charles Measure did great. Uh, and Jason, obviously, I think is a genius. But um, <laughs> you know, I. I was not expecting to do Lamez on the magicians. <laughs> that was a total surprise. Um, yeah. So yeah, left field for sure. <laughs> Is there a moment, maybe like in the the later books, that you are adamant that they keep in for Elliot? Well, I always wanted to fly. You can fly <laughs> in the book. <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to rescue him from the from the uh, corporate tower. <laughs> shatter that glass with Margot and Julia and rescue him. And then he says something like that, but that bitch has jobs or something, right? About Julia. And that <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was, I mean, I, I, I love those are the, those are, that's a very like iconic moment where Elliot has these like f- for no reason, just has these like huge, massive, like angel, like angel wings <laughs> um, <laughs> because, because he can, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a budget thing, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but one day I hope he gets to fly because he's a physical kid. I say it in the pilot, we can fly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and other people have gotten to to fly or at least float. So I feel like Elliot should yeah. get his chance. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, maybe, maybe one day. I hope I get to sword fight more. That was really, really fun for me. I was like, that was a total childhood dream. Um, and it happened in part because I said I would love to do combat if you put a sword in my or anything like any kind of like weaponry I want to like I want Elliot to get his hands dirty a little bit so let's let me try that at some point. they were so they were like oh yeah sure and why don't you sing while you're at it you know I mean, yeah so, um, you can have so. a sword fight but only if you sing during it <laughs> yeah I mean I think the episode had already been written as, as just a battle sequence and then John thought you know this could really use something and, and something to pump Elliot up and get him really inspired and get him going and so that, yeah. that's how it came to be um, <laughs> so every other guest that we've had on the show has said that if they could play any character it would be Elliot like every single guest so really? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you can how many play, guests have you had well, we had Arjun, um, Olivia, and Jade, and Brittany. So, for oh. <laughs> yeah, we all just had your, Elliot. <laughs> we just had your wife on here, and I think she told us to tell you hi. But oh, yeah. <laughs> she said to say hi from your wife. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Total sweetheart. She is. So, if you could play any character other than Elliot, who would it be? Now you've stumped him. <laughs> well, that's, this depends, right? I mean, in my in my male body, I would I would play Quentin. Um, I can never do what Jason Ralph does. I think that he is a wonderful actor, and I mm-hmm. don't say that lightly. Um, I always believe him. I find that he's always lived in and real and. Um, I admire him a lot. Um, I'm, I, I would be a very different Quentin. Um, so that would be interesting. Probably more of a total recluse or something. A little mm-hmm. quieter. I don't know. Um, 
we joked a lot actually when we first got these parts about wanting to have an episode in which we switched bodies and body swap. <laughs> um, Quentin and Elliot and Elliot and Quentin. So um, I want a Freaky Friday episode. Yeah. Well, we I sort of that get that with like Niff and Alice, or we got it for a little while. Right. Right, just... right. Right. I know. I think Jason and I would have a field day with that. Um, kind of just like <laughs> doing little lived-in impressions of each other. I think we would both get a huge <laughs> out of that. And we both come from theater and and have like a certain relationship to physicality and creating characters through that um, yeah. art we learned how to do on stage. And um, when we had to do in the in the episode three the box the books uh, the flying books in the boxes, there were these there was a bunch of sequences in which we're just carrying boxes down the street and there's just a little <laughs> brick weight at the bottom of the box but it was just us you know make believing that there's a book trying to escape and um, <laughs> that's a really hyper theatrical thing that you don't get to do on television that we got to do on our show and so those are the moments that I think really are um, fun and and weird and uh, kind of grounded in in our theatrical roots and Jason's <laughs> a brilliant clown too he just he's physically hilarious um, so yeah, yeah, all that stuff. More of that stuff. <laughs> so, can impression. you do you do an impression of Jason? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes from Elliot in the Magicians uh, fans Facebook group. We've heard you're a musician and you compose music. What are some of your musical inspirations and what are your favorite songs? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I grew up listening. My parents exposed me to a lot of classic rock and um, folk music. Um, so, you know, Fleetwood Mac and James Taylor. And um, yeah, I grew up playing jazz piano. So, so there's a jazz element to what I write. And uh, yeah, that's sort of like the beginning. I could go on forever about that, but you know, I grew up loving like total weirdos like Kate Bush, and who's like I think the mo most genius uh, musical artist. Um, one of many. Um, yeah, I could go on David Byrne, Kate Bush, um, Jeff Buckley, Chris Wainwright. Yes, um, good choices. <laughs> yeah. For starters. Yeah. <laughs> Which of our dogs is that in the background? Not sure. I think, that, I think that's my my neighbor's dog, actually. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Charlie. So sweet. It's, it's always a fun Hi, game. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, so, mine is louder, but he's uh, behind four doors right now, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mine are loud, too. I had to hide them. <laughs> So if you could sing, okay, so if you could sing any song from any genre on The Magicians, what would your yeah. preference be? I guess I, this is like a two-part answer. I can't just think of one thing. I would love to see Elliot have kind of a, like a drugged out Lou Reed or David oh, Bowie kind of moment, which, you know in and of themselves are very different, but like either a kind of like punkish glam rock feel. Um, there's this Lou Reed song called I'm So Free that I love, um, that I always imagined Elliot singing in the castle. Um, 
<laughs> Otherwise, I think I could see him kind of like walking down the stairs in Castle White Spire in, in like a coat and tail, singing more of a classic jazz standard or something more along the lines of something like what the Beast did. I could see mm. something like that. When I when I imagined singing on the show initially, that was something that 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 was something that I was I was like, oh well, I'm sure John will give me a a jazz tune or something, you know, or or you know, an old American <laughs> standard, you know, um, a Cole Porter song or like something a little more. Um, appropriately dandy you know um but yeah no we uh we turned a different corner i guess <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that he'll he'll add in another song if he can <laughs> i'm sure he will i'm sure he will i don't know if i will be the recipient of that gift um, <laughs> but, but i'm sure i know there are some some uh some actors waiting in the wings to to show what they can do I would love to see an entire musical episode, kind of like the Buffy musical episode. Like, I would yeah. totally be down. <laughs> I would be down. Yeah. For sure. Then everyone gets a piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Danny, you want to you wanna move on to the favorite? Yeah, this is my favorite question to ask everyone. And we ask oh. it to every uh, single person. So, maybe? No, it's fun. Um, <laughs> so... What do you think Elliot's Hogwarts house is, and what is yours? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> I know everyone thinks that Elliot's like a pure Slytherin, but I don't. I no. I really see him as having a heart. So um, underneath <laughs> all of his baggage. So I I think that I think that he's like a closet Gryffindor, maybe. <laughs> um, I, Hale is a Ravenclaw. I took the test and everything. Yes. <laughs> I'm like a true, true, true weirdo. So, <laughs> so I belong there. I'm like total, a total Luna Lovegood or something, maybe. Oh, yep. yeah? <laughs> I, think, I think maybe more so than, you know, I don't know. I mean, I loved, you know, obviously everyone wants to be Harry. Okay, um, but you have to tell us now what you're related to about Luna. I kind of her like weird spiritual, like, you know. Chloe, I'm a, she's like kind of lost in her in her head sometimes and a little dreamy and um, she sees things that other people don't see and um, I, I could see her sort of having like weird visions. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I get stuck um, upstairs like that. So <laughs> you could say that I'm a little bit of that um, baby dreamer. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, we have a room full of Ravenclaws right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was um, gonna say like Ravenclaw fingers for like you know fingers, sometimes people just don't know what to make of you. I can definitely relate to that. That's very Ravenclaw, very Luna. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've always related to it. I think I, when I was younger, I was just like I don't. I didn't want to be a Ravenclaw because like you either want to be a Gryffindor or a Slytherin because they're the most popular houses. Uh, right. And I was I was always just like no, nah, I'm I'm more of like a Slytherin because I was like super emo and like scene kid and just like not cool with everyone. And right. so I was just like, I'm I'm like I'm a Slytherin. And then I like took the test when Pottermore came out, and I was a Ravenclaw, and I had like this existential crisis about it. <laughs> but then I just finally was just like, yeah, I am a Ravenclaw, but I still have my like Slytherin tendencies. Totally, I can. Yeah, that's cool. I can see that. Um, I feel like I'm such an obvious Ravenclaw. Like every time you talk to me for ten minutes, and you like hear the stupid vocabulary that I use and you're like, oh yeah, she's a Ravenclaw. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm not a Ravenclaw. I don't think that I have a, that stupid a vocabulary. You, I mean, have, you have, you have uh, some vocab in you there. You did say but I think earlier. Where would you guys put me and where would you put Elliot? 
<laughs> I would put you. I would probably put you in Ravenclaw just from what I know about you, just because you're very eccentric. It seems like, uh, yeah. and also for Elliot, I would say he's the same as what I am, which is like a Ravenclaw Slytherin oh. like mix. Okay, <laughs> but I think that like he. He, his true inner essence would be Ravenclaw since he is such a, like, he's so smart and he is, he is, like, doesn't have to think about, you know, school. And I think that's where they would right. put him. Right. Interesting. I think that's what the sorting hat would put him in. Interesting. I think I agree with that. Maybe, I I was, maybe I'll take the test as Elliot and see what happens. You should. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, you should. Okay. So we should get Wait, into the episode. But- Oh, sorry. We go do ahead. have the one more, like, small, short one okay. uh, that we've oh, been yes. asking people lately. Oh. <laughs> What's your astrological sign, and what is Elliot's astrological sign? What's if you've given him one. Sign? Um, I'm, a Capa- I'm a Capricorian. I'm the week of the Capricorius. I'm January 17th, which is, you know, Aquarius starts on the 20th. Um, I am a Cancer rising Aries moon. Um, so I got all those elements happening all the time. <laughs> is... Mine's very over the, all over the place too, so I feel it. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, so that's my that's my sign. And what is Elliot's? Mm-hmm. What do you think Elliot's is? Um, hmm. I actually, I I was thinking about when we first started. I was really thinking about this, trying to make sense of it. Um, I could see him being, hmm. um, I could see him being like maybe like a Libra or, uh, or, um, an Aquarius maybe. I could, I could see that. I see him as a Scorpio just cause he's so (laughs) sexual. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. He could do, he could be, let's see. So then he would be, um, Libra rising. Um, he probably has an Aquarius moon. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's a Scorpio with an Aquarius moon. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yep. Danny How will explain that? to me what all of that means afterward. <laughs> hey, hey, it means we, that he's trying to keep it all together and, like, really balanced and, and like, easy and, and real. Not real, but very, um, but peace, but just, you know, keeping it, balance on the surface and then um his true self is a little more emotional and um uh unpredictable yeah she just got her birth chart for the first time like last week so she's just like i have no idea (laughs) and then emotionally he's like on another planet I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, we should get into the episode because we have had a lovely conversation, but there's a whole episode to talk about still. Um, This was another big ensemble episode, so I thought I would start by asking what other plot lines have fascinated you in this episode, in the season, in the series as a whole. Mm. So, okay. I really, I think I, I... the whole idea of the shade business is kind of interesting to me. In this particular episode, there was a lot of that shade stuff um, on Julia's storyline. And it was right. the first like glimpse that we got of alternate timeline Julia and of, of, of what you just described. Right. Of- alternate timeline Julia. That is interesting. I think that that's, that's also an interesting thing that the, the showrunners kind of um, folded into the narrative on the show. Um, that, in fact, she 
might have been accepted all these other times. It's just that this time it didn't work out. And uh, I don't know. I find that sort of fascinating. And playing with the idea of the time loops, um, I think, is something that the show can take liberties with. And I think that that's a really smart way of, uh, of utilizing that. So kudos to... Yeah, I agree with you. And I think one thing that really struck me in this particular episode about that, um, you don't really get that alternate timeline stuff in the books as, as concretely, but there's a lot of ways in which alternate timeline Julia, the one that we see that is like a happy break bill students, really student, really parallels um, the first Julia from the sort of two Julias in The Magician King, the one before her life sort of falls apart. And I'm kind right, of wondering, right. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that we get to see more of that and get to see um, mm. a little bit more of, you know, Jer Julia's character arc in the first season was so rushed. Um, like, we didn't really get to see her fall apart after she got rejected from Break Bills the way that we do in the books. Mm. And I'm hoping that maybe some of that alternate timeline stuff might bring some of that back. I mean, they're certainly giving her a lot of opportunity to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, it's kind of an extension of that that whole storyline. I think she suffered point. a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of damage. So um, there's actually a really lovely Elliot Julia scene coming up in the finale that um, oh, might good. be a nice little uh, a nice little touch in which these two characters uh, come together in kind of an unexpected way. Can't really Ooh, say. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what, what you might be able to tell us is, was, was it fun getting to work with Stella? Because you haven't really gotten to do oh, that. I have a very like, easy relationship with Stella. We love each other. It's, we have an understanding. We, just, we, yeah, we, we, we like, truly get each other as people. So um, <laughs> I'm, I was really happy to work with her. And I hope I get to do a lot more. I, hope that, I think Elliot and Julia probably have a lot to say to each other, in fact. Yeah, they seem um, like kindred yeah. spirits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, Elliot's arc in season two has largely been about adjusting to responsibility, moving away from the more like hedonistic lifestyle that he's led and into something that's, um, I don't know, I guess I would describe it as less self-centered um, and yeah. more sort of focused on the world around him. And I think his relationship with Fenn really plays into that. Um, I, I said to Brittany when we talked to her last week, and I think this is really true, that um, Fenn is so sincere um, and it, it really seems to disarm Elliot every time he sort of encounters her it, and she's it, just being it nice. <laughs> it does. Totally. She's um, pure. Way yeah. That he doesn't expect people to ever be. And um, so that throws him for a loop. And um, I think that he's sort of taken off his mark by her in that way. Not necessarily the like falling in love with you kind of way, but in the, oh, there's more to this person than I would have initially just, you know, yeah. someone who I initially just written off in, in this, you know, in, the, the old version of myself would have, would have, you know, not looked at her twice or even had a conversation with her. And her innate goodness is something that kind of continues to baffle him. And I think help him uncover those aspects in, in himself a little bit. I think, I mean, that you're speaking to a lot of the things that have really resonated with me, and, and particularly, um, I, I might be one of the only people uh, who really loves the books and didn't get immediately attached to Elliot in the books. Um, and I think it's because I've, I've known some people like that in real life what who I think, think are... <laughs> sorry? 
What was that? I was Talking wagging my finger at you. Oh. <laughs> at me? No, at me, I think. Oh, okay. yeah, at you. I was like, who's that for? Okay. I actually couldn't see it because I just have the little, I have apparently little hail only in my lower right-hand corner. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've known a lot of people like that in real life who I think are, are very affected and very sort of cooler than thou. Um, mm-hmm. And in my real life experiences with them, it's, it's hard for me to trust those people in a lot of ways. They have so much under the surface that they're not sharing. And for me, like realizing that there's so much that, that I'm not seeing is always sort of a little off-putting. But mm-hmm. I think what I notice in those interactions between Elliot and Fenn um, are that that part of him is getting disarmed. It's exactly like he said. He would normally write her off but he's in a situation where he kind of has to keep interacting with her. He does. And he also is starting to recognize that she's going to be there um, time being, and that he might as well try and make things as easy as possible for both of them. It doesn't help the situation to outwardly dislike her simply based on his past experiences, which um, aren't really... um, except for, you know, saving the kingdom with fertilizer appro- you know, <laughs> appropriate to bring into Phil, Phil, you know, Fillory is a whole other beast. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause, uh, I, we all really loved that scene <laughs> with Elliot and the fertilizer. I have a yeah. secret to tell you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That was, that was a fun, I liked yeah. how they, they, uh, did a full circle moment with him in his past and that, and uh, I think there's a lot to explore there. Yeah. Um, I also, speaking of Fen, I, I really liked the scene that I got to play with Brittany um, in which she's having an internal crisis because she's seeing fairies everywhere. And so Elliot's I want to play that trying clip. to figure out what's going on. Oh, okay. Okay. Here That's in, one of the ones I got. Here. I'm going to play that clip and then let's talk about it. Hi, King. Hi, Fen. Are you all right? Yes, fine. How... Go, the wedding preparations. She's so not oh. fine. <laughs> They're fine. Is there anything I can help with? Is that something that you'd actually want to help with? You're acting like you think I disapprove of it. Your husband is about to welcome another husband <laughs> into his bed. Your king? Of course you will. I gather a three-person marriage isn't normal on Earth. Not outside of Utah or some websites. Those are cities made of pixels, right? Close. My mission, so you understand it, is to protect our growing family. Your marriage to Idri means a stronger kingdom to raise our child in. You are being way more understanding about this than I would be in your shoes. That's my job. Look, I'm going to go talk to my new royal chef. Care to join? Thanks. I'm not feeling good. Morning sickness. Mm. Okay, so it sounded like you had a lot of thoughts about the scene, so talk to us about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> for one, what I really appreciated is that Brittany really um, was having a meltdown as Fen during the scene. So it gave me a lot to play with and made me feel like, oh man, I really have to be gentle with her and 
and walk her through this incredibly difficult moment for her. You know, I'm marrying myself off and I, him, him really needing to have a heart in that moment, but it being kind of an uncomfortable, uh, line for him to take with anyone. <laughs> um, and she's just literally like losing her shit and, and completely unable to keep it together. Um, I just thought that was interesting. It was, there were like vague echoes of Ophelia to me. Um, oh. That's sort of what came to mind when I, when I saw her in that hallway, I was like, Oh my God, what's going on with this girl? <laughs> oh man, she's losing it. Um, but that just was really fun for me. And then, you know, Elliot had wanting to really gently explain to her what's going to happen. You know, that just felt like um, a fun, uh, fun way to play through that with her. Um, I think to what you were yeah. saying, right? Like she, she does a really amazing job of having like 12 emotions in 24 frames. I mean, really it's there. <laughs> That section where um, she is acknowledging that he is marrying another person, it's like she goes right. from being like, from saying she's fine when she very clearly isn't, to doing this like full about face where she's like, this isn't normal where you come from? <laughs> As though she's never considered anything else. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It was fun. Um, yeah, and, and weird. <laughs> weird. I like how weird it got. I, honestly, that's my, my favorite aspect is that, you know, that, that she got to be, to, to go, to take it that far, you know, and that I got to react, um, specifically, uh, in, in direct opposition to that emotional. There's something it interesting too to me about the the sort of follow-up reaction because Elliot has a conversation with Margot about this afterward um and it's so interesting to me because he he frames it as like can I ask you a woman question and Margot's like I don't think this applies to me and it so clearly <laughs> doesn't right but like this is this is all he has to work with right like all he has to work with is I just need someone to help her and clearly like that's not working from me so maybe you lady person can go if you take the stab i'm i'm you know i'm lost here yeah <laughs> yeah and that, you know, it shows him trying to solve a situation that has more to do with someone else that normally kind of you know not really consider so yeah um so another thing I want to ask about Elliot's relationship with Fenn, um, well, first of all, what does it mean to Elliot and how does he feel about her? Which I think are big questions, but... What does what mean to Elliot? What does Fenn Sorry. mean to Elliot? What does Fenn mean to Elliot? Yeah. Um, I think she represents a kind of purity that that is um, helping to awaken him to uh, new ways of interacting with people and considering other people's thoughts and feelings and and also um opening his eyes to a kind of person that he wouldn't normally uh interact with so he's he's um he, you know he's not judging the, the book by its cover you know for lack of a better expression anymore in the same way that i think he might have um so yeah. He's becoming a little more human on the surface. <laughs> you know, it's like 
he's opening up to his potential as, uh, you know, an emotionally supportive person. So the other part of that is that Elliot is, is going to be a father. Oh, right. That part. Very yeah, soon. not excited about that. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a hard one for him to swallow. Uh, I think that he feels the innate uh, idea of responsibility, of the, of the responsibility of fatherhood, but I don't think that it's something that he, I, I, I struggle with this because I don't know if Elliot's the kind of person that would be, um, that would know the idea. A baby is like is not a real thing to him. I don't think until hmm. it's sitting right in front of him. So, it's uh, it's an interesting proposition. I, I, I don't know if Elliot would be a good father. Probably not. You know, <laughs> but um, but he, but watching him try might be funny or or entertaining or interesting um <laughs> i uh I, I, he's certainly not a he's not prepared for this at all and uh he he's acting as if he can take responsibility for that idea but i think he has no clue what that really entails nor do i think he's prepared for it or really wants it yeah um so the other one i want to talk about was uh elliot's relationship with baylor which i think is really interesting um I'd sort of forgotten about Baylor for a long time, and then he comes back here, and you realize that uh, Elliot really seems to care about his opinion. Uh, right. Which is a little unusual for Elliot in general, but it, it's sort of especially right. interesting here. So, what do you like? What is your insight into Elliot's relationship with Baylor? Is he just a barometer for like how the people of Fillory view Elliot? Or, um, I think I think Baylor is. Um is kind of a piece of, is a piece of evidence for Elliot to examine and explore on his own uh, and hold to kind of to kind of get a greater sense of what the people's uh, value system is in Fillory outside of what he knows in the castle I, I you know he he's he's um he doesn't have the inside scoop and I don't think that he'd be able to get it by leaving himself and asking questions um you know, in in the uh, the fields and the the small, you know, yeah, the small little towns outside the castle. I don't think you know. It's like I don't think that um, he. I don't think he feels he'd get an honest answer. So he's trying to um, vet Baylor for information. I think that's mostly what it's about. I don't think he really. I don't think he. Um, uh, it's he says you know well I I could come and visit you he, he's he's come to continue to see him and, and to 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 um, explore that dynamic he's trying to get a sense of who the people are around him who the, who the what the people of Fillory think breathe yeah. feel what they want from him as a king how he can best achieve that I mean I think Elliot's really trying to become uh, better for the people um, so that he can be um, accepted and and less. Um, Hated and you know, so that there aren't hits out for his life. <laughs> yeah, that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, as a ruler, I can imagine. Um, so the last thing on this episode, um, it's not an Elliot thing, but I think our listeners would murder us if we left it out. So I just wanted to play the scene between um, Elliot and alternate timeline Alice in the Tesla flexion. You mean Quentin? <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you, <laughs> Quentin and. Alternate timeline, Alice. I just wanted to say I'm sorry. Sorry for what? When you died, 
in a good place. We were, we were fighting and I was too proud to, to let it go. I don't know without an equipment thought, but in this world, I love you. Okay. No matter what, I love you. So that's a pretty powerful scene. Um, and I think for us as fans of the books, that was, it was especially powerful and kept a lot of the sense of the books while being something from a, from a totally new plot line. Right. So I guess my question to you would be, what do you think of the way that Quentin and Alice's plot line is unfolding on the show? I think another really brilliant stroke that they um, took is uh, Niff and Alice taking this, the, the, uh, the Keiko demon's base in Quentin's back and, you know, the big metaphor of not being able to let go of someone that you've fallen in love with. And uh, it's ended in some way, whether through death or a breakup. And I think that um, still feeling that person live within you and the memories that you shared with them, I think that that's uh, very universal and, and kind of a really um, nice touch that I think that, I, I don't know, I thought that that was a really beautiful way to handle um, Niff and Alice. And it gave um, Olivia an opportunity to, to remain with us in a way that that felt like we could do only on the show, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we talked to her right after the episode where Alice went niffin and she lied to us. <laughs> she, she, she didn't lie to us. She just, uh, she very strongly hinted that she wouldn't be around for a while. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right. I think that they did. A, I think that the show has done a really good job with, um, I mean, literally making her, a demon on Quentin's back, right? Like he, he cannot right. stop thinking about her right. and it does make him crazy in all the ways that failed love makes a person crazy. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to fashion. Um, I'll have some general questions for you about Elliot's wardrobe, but first I, I have to ask this, please don't hate me. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was probably the most asked question that we got okay. is the wallum, but your butt is the what? The, the, the what? Um, the, the wallum? The doppelbanger? Is that butt your butt? Oh, the wallum. <laughs> that's what you call it. Oh, okay. Is that my butt? Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Theo, you can't get mad at me. I asked. <laughs> insatiable. They're insatiable. <laughs> they no are. Comment. They really are. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I really can't tell you how excited I've been to talk to you about fashion because Elliot just has the best wardrobe where does that come from whoa comes from the mind the heart and mind of magali judaski she is our brilliant leader brilliant costume designer she designs everyone's look from you know the extras on the street to you know the the servant with one line to elliot and margot in the castle you know all of us she painstakingly you know, goes through every single detail. And especially with Elliot through um, the first season, but also the uh, expanding into Fillory, um, Magali and I have a, have a really close working relationship. And she um, 
wants to make sure that Elliot's wardrobe it corresponds to his emotional state or, mm-hmm. or what he's going through emotionally. So there's a very deliberate reason why Elliot's wardrobe became kind of darker and monochromatic after he killed Mike. And there's a reason why when Elliot goes to England in the haunted house, that it's kind of the look is Elliot goes to England. It's very deliberate. <laughs> it's very um, Burberry. You know, that's the point. And, and there's, you know, the, um, the first, you know, the first time we find Elliot wearing the, uh, sitting on the wall smoking, um, that, that also was, um, you know, it's it's Quinton is leaving frigid New York and entering break bills. And so it felt appropriate that he would be wearing, you know, a summer suit and something that a hero of, you know, Brideshead Revisited or yeah. some, you know, literary dandy would, might be wearing. So that was all, those were all very deliberate um, choices that Mongolian has made. And um, and uh, she she is really generously open to my feedback and to um, what I feel good in and what what I and, and ideas that I might have about what what I'd like to see Elliot in and you know I love bringing her little clippings of David Bowie and, and friends <laughs> here and there and um, you know just just to kind of keep especially for for Fillory you know the 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 the, the there's no limit to what she can come up with and and the, her entire team is. And they have an incredible number of um, designers and seamstresses who painstakingly make every Florian garment from scratch. So, I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge job. Um, and she does it with so much joy and passion and specificity. So I'm, I just feel lucky that, that I get to work with her. And when I met her, um, she looked at me and said, you know, I think we have an opportunity here with this character. And I said, I think you're right. And I'm so glad you see that because I, I always thought that, you know, Elliot's clothing would, would be a huge uh, part of, of his character and how he presents himself as someone who is trying to erase his past and, and create this newfound persona. Um, so she's all, she's all in, you know, she, she gets it um, from the ground up and, and she does tremendous amount of work it's unbelievable so talk to me about about this season and about what you mentioned about translating Elliot's style from earth to fillery yeah um there's a lot of uh there's there's a certain kind of influence from there's a there's like an ancient uh, not ancient but there's a there's a japanese influence in a lot of the there's like a lot of high-waisted samurai uh-esque uh, pants that Elliot wears a lot. Um, there's um, that that white um, kind of like see-through shirt um, is an Orientalist um, that uh, Magali found found uh, she found that fabric and then she found this painting that she was in love with. That is, um, it's it's uh, yeah. So it's 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 an Orient Orientalist. Um, design that was literally ripped from a painting, but she didn't know she was going to design it until she found the fabric. And then she, she walked into the room and there that, that painting was anyway. So it's like, it's all very kind of synchronistic and um, magical. And then of course there's the, the sort of like subtle, not so subtle glam rock influence um, in terms of, you know, I'm wearing uh, these like washed silver Cuban heels most of the time that have like <laughs> four inches on. So I'm even taller 
uh, I'm six four as a person in life, and so um, I tower uh, in the castle. Um, and then uh, the 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 pants are sort of they they have this sort of like um, uh, shoot, what's it called? This is not articulate. They have these they ha they have a kind of like um, flared. They flare over the boot uh, huh. in this in this very kind of like retro glam way um all of his suits have this sort of like hook into the heel what is that called i'm not i don't remember i'm blanking um, too but like that 70s 60s 70s look yeah yeah um yeah it's just that the, there's like just a painstaking amount of work that goes into to crafting the shape of these garments that i get to wear um some of the vests and jackets are just like you know just unbelievable um <laughs> I mean, Elvis was an influence on one of them, and it's just a good really gamut. I mean, it, we can go anywhere, so we so we do. Um, thematically, I think they kept certain structure uh, similarities in how they're they're constructing the suits for me, so that there is some kind of um, continuity, and that it doesn't feel like Elliot's style is just kind of completely all over the place. Um, but I I really enjoyed getting to explore that and. Uh, I hope that next season we get to take some new, new risks with that, perhaps in, in a completely different direction. Um, yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. What has and been I, your? You know, I, oh, sorry. Sorry, go for it. I, I was just going to ask what your favorite outfit has been from this season. From season two. Yeah. Uh, God, that's hard. Um, I suppose. I suppose I I really love the um, the gray brocade um, suit that I wore in episode three. Mm. That was pretty great. But also there's the there's the kind of um, off off beige um, three piece suit that has this it's very structured um, back. Um, mm. that, I don't know if you guys even get to see the detail sometimes in the way that it's shot. Sometimes things are so so much in close up that you don't really get to see um, the the full look from head to toe. So um, that one is really exquisitely done. It feels almost like uh, it has tails in the back. It has kind of like yeah conductors yeah. I think tail. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Magali has also you know given each of us in the cast a, a psycho spiritual spirit animal that she oh, yeah? believes personally embodied so this she is you calls as a person that, or you as your character me as um me as uh, me as elliot i guess or me as a person and like also sometimes as elliot um she called i'm a kangaroo she says so uh <laughs> so the, the tan suit is is like the kangaroo suit so she she loves uh she loves that um she always asks she has this amazing french accent and she asks me you know are you kangaroo? Are you are you sitting on your tail, or are you uh, you, uh, you taking out your pocket watch? <laughs> so she she um has a good time with that. Everyone has one. Um, a good little fun fact. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so, so random, <laughs> but you know that's like you know we're totally totally goofy, um, and we get to be so. Um, Does she have one? It's part of the joy. She's uh, a lemur. Oh, cool. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I I can't think of lemurs and not think of the the king lemur from Madagascar now. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it. You've never seen Madagascar? <laughs> not, not no, not familiar. Don't know. <laughs> uh, 
It's don't. a dumb cartoon. Don't watch it. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hill, what do you watch other than The Magicians? Um, let's see. Oh, I love... Okay, so this is really nerdy, but I love Chef's Table. I think it's like the best thing uh, on Netflix. Maybe you can um, convince my husband to watch it with me. <laughs> so, so, so good and so human and so beautiful. I just get a total... Like, just I'm totally inspired by it. Um... What else do I watch right now? I haven't really been watching that much TV, which is kind of weird. Um, uh, I saw, I did see, I saw Jessica Jones, which I liked okay. I saw, um, uh, I was a huge like Breaking Bad fan, but that's like years back. That's not helpful right now. What am I, what's, oh, Game of Thrones I really like. Um, I really liked um, Bloodline. Uh, have you seen that? It's really good. I haven't yet. Um, the acting is um, Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot that I want to see that I that I haven't seen yet. Like I really... Oh, Master of None I really liked. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. That was good. Yeah, that was a really... That was really good. Um, I want to watch Atlanta and... and uh, there's so many... Sh- oh, I want to watch um, Rectify here is amazing. Um... Yeah, there's a lot out there that I just haven't seen yet. <laughs> I watched through some a couple seasons of The Walking Dead. I'd never seen it, so I, I did that for a while. Um, and then I was like, okay, I think I need a Fewer zombies. change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, like really let me over. guess. I mean, yes, zombies are, you know. <laughs> I'm like really, I'm really over zombies. <laughs> Maybe it's. I mean, I haven't even gotten into some of the newer characters on that show that I'm sure are are brilliant. Some of the actors that I that I know are probably really doing amazing work. So I basically um, got to a, like a certain point in rage quit the show, and I'm never going back. <laughs> <laughs> I got to a certain point in fear quit it. it. Like I managed to like hold down my my like I don't watch anything horror related uh, threshold for a while, but after like season right, four right, or five, right. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I'm, I'm sick of things jumping around corners at me. <laughs> right. I saw Logan. I've I heard that's that fantastic. It's have... really, you guys should see it. It's really, really good and really violent and really a great kind of, it feels kind of like an, uh, an intimate uh, character drama just as much as it does a, a kind of superhero flick. So, I just watched that. I just watched the new Power Rangers and it was actually really amazing. Was it? Yeah, they did a really great job. Um, like it's very diverse. Like four out of the five of the Rangers are people of color. Um, they made one of them queer. One of them's on the spectrum. Like they really tried really Whoa. hard to be inclusive. Oh, hey. <laughs> That's great. Steps forward. (laughs) Okay, so um, I've just looked at the time, so I think we should move on and and try to get through our MVP and our episode rating. Um, During our MVP, this is where we normally talk about basically who we think had the the, standout performance of this episode. The ensemble ones are always really hard for me. Um, There were a lot of great performances from you, Hale, in this episode, but also from everybody else. I really liked the scene between you and Reese (laughs) Ward. Um, who is Baylor. Um, I thought Brittany was incredible in that scene that we talked about earlier. 
Jade and Arjun do a great job in the library flying line. Jason and Olivia like destroyed all of us in the Tesla flexion scene. But I think in the end, right, this episode is about Julia and, and Stella does a really fantastic job. So I'm giving it to Stella for this episode. Can you forgive Shout me for not Stella. picking you, Hale? <laughs> yeah, you're forgiven completely, 100%. <laughs> okay, so who's I your act- favorite? I- <laughs> Mine or his? Whichever order you oh, choose. Do I get to choose? You do get to choose. Oh no, I don't know if I have an answer. <laughs> That's okay. That's also allowed. Um, All right. <laughs> I have one. My, mine. I actually want to go with Marley Madeline because she's fucking oh, she amazing. Was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love Marley Madeline and like everything. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen her in the roast of a. Uh, Donald Trump, but she's pretty amazing in that. Oh, she wow. hates him a lot. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go look that up right now. You should. <laughs> she's Might be some light it. afternoon. Uh... I just would love to see her again, like this, like Hedgewitch, like speaking ASL. Like I'm sure there's like actual ASL like spells that I don't know about that I want to know about. <laughs> I really like too the that conversation that she and Jade have or that she and Katie have where um, she's talking about how the library isn't very accessible. And that's why she's created this like Buzzfeed like site um, that sort of enchants and disseminates wisdom from the library to people who maybe wouldn't have access to it otherwise. I was laughing really hard when I saw that it was like a Buzzfeed uh, (laughs) (laughs) knockoff. I was just like, no, Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like we've seen that unicorn in the writer's room before, too, in the, like, behind-the-scenes tweets. Definitely. It's been around, I think. Hale, you going <laughs> to give a shot? Who's your MVP? Um, Abigail the Sloth, just really, I thought. <laughs> is she even in this episode? <laughs> Not I don't think she was, but she is great. We were, we were joking we the her. other day that we should, um, we should do an interview with Abigail the Sloth. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, she's uh, she's her real name is Sassy, and <laughs> she does not get out of her cage for more than ten thousand carats a day. <laughs> she, uh, she's um, she was a re- it took her a few episodes to really get relax, relax and and feel safe in the castle, and um, finally she did. But um, what ended up happening was that the first few episodes she really is like moving quite fast over her branch her suspended branch and we were all kind of surprised because we thought oh we were expecting this very slow moving sleepy thing and she just was kind of uh uh pacing on her on her branch Um, have you booped her on the nose no she will bite your finger off if you boop her on the nose Um, they have incredibly sharp teeth so when you feed them you have to be pretty careful about where your food, the food is and where your finger is in relationship to it. So it's, um, yeah. I'm obsessed with sloths. So I was really excited to see her. I, I should show you my phone case has sloths on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've seen all the sloth memes going around the internet. Oh, I have so many sloth memes saved to my phone. I send them to people. <laughs> okay. Um, episode rating. Danny, you want to go first? Uh, I want to, I'm going to go with a 10 out of 10. I feel like it's been a while since I've given one out, but I really enjoyed this episode. <laughs> it was a really great episode. I, I think I'm going to go with, uh, with probably like a eight and a half out of 10. The ensemble ones are a little bit harder for me. Um, just cause there's so much going from bit to bit to bit. Hale. 
Um, <laughs> I really loved working with our director this episode, Josh Butler. Shout out to Josh. He's um, one of the treasures of our show. And I really, um, and we have many, but he, as a director, he's one of the true standouts. And um, he really, really understands bridging the, actually, Josh, that's my, that's my MVP of the episode. Josh <laughs> Butler, turning episode 10 into a great episode um, is, is, you know, it's all of our tasks, but I think that he makes it easier um, because he really understands the bridge between comedy and drama on our show and mm. how to kind of, and really wants to talk to the actors about the kind of work that we want to do and, and how to how to get there and what he, what his take is. For, and we might, you know, have different ideas and, and, and he was very collaborative and very hands-on and I love that and respect that. And I hope that he does a lot. I have the hope that he's on our show quite a bit. Um, I really love working with him. So Josh That's is my great answer. <laughs> well, Definitely Hale, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Hale. Um, yes. Yeah, thanks. This has been really delightful. We'd love to have you back. Um, during the hiatus, we'll probably do some more like full interview episodes. We'd love to have you back then. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, subscribe, rate us on iTunes. See you next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Mind slide. Wall and butt your butt. Wall and butt your butt. Wall and butt your butt. Are you sitting on your tail or?